It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caligero, it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or just give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Holiday Inn and all of their properties. Hey, listen, man, if you got to travel somewhere and you need to stay at a hotel, make sure you stay at a Holiday Inn property. My favorites, of course, Holiday Inn um, Resorts and the Holiday Inn Express. And when I get a good night's sleep at a Holiday Inn Express, I feel like a totally different man. Like maybe a doctor or a lawyer or just smarter. Uh, but listen, I'll give you a better reason why you should stay at a Holiday Inn. I'll get you a discount. That's the best reason. Just call our toll-free number, 844-603-0364. 844-603-0364 and get a Billy C. discount. Or just visit the website, billycboxing.com and click on the banner. It says Holiday Inn. Can't miss it. You'll get the discount there too. And today's show is being brought to us in part by... Right now, I'm donning the shirt, southerngourmetspice.com. Hey, listen, there's nothing better than Kenny Bear's uh, barbecue rub. It goes great on everything. And guess what? Yesterday, I had it on a burger, and my burger tasted great. And I'll tell you something. I got to thank the people at Southern Gourmet Spice for uh, sending me uh, another batch because I was uh, jonesing. Listen, I got to put a warning on this stuff. Um, Once you start using it, uh, you want it on everything. It makes everything taste better. Trust me. Uh, SouthernGourmetSpice.com and demand the Billy C discount because you'll get it. You got to demand it and you'll get it. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Mono From Bondage to Better Men on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy of this book right now where you're watching or listening to this show. Just go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. If you want to get a signed copy, just visit the website, billycboxing.com, and uh, click on the book. You want more than one copy? Then uh, just drop me an email, billy at tuckinboxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. I want to give a special shout-out to all of our listeners on uh, WSMN in New Hampshire. Uh, that's 1590 on your radio dial. Uh, glad to be part of your uh, uh, day today as well. As uh, all of our fans in uh, Brunswick, Georgia on uh, WGIG, I want to thank uh, Scott and uh, all of uh, 
his listeners that are our listeners too, and all of our other uh, TV and radio affiliates. Thanks for being part of the family. Um, all right, listen, we've been beating this to death, right? We've been beating it to death. And, and I, I just want to start off and, and say this. You know, it's sad. It's sad um, when, you know, boxing has such a tendency uh, to, uh, to, to shoot themselves in the foot, themselves, meaning the boxing people. You know, I, I mean, when, when can you recall a big fight that not only is good for the respective division that it's in, but good for the sport itself and, and demanded by the fans. When was the last time we got that without any strings attached? I, you know, honestly, you got to go way back in time. I mean, uh, look, we had to deal with the, with the saga of Triple G and Canelo, right? Um, we had a deal, going back a little further, we had a deal with the saga of, of Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather. Five years too late, anticlimactic, people were pissed, the whole nine, right? Well, a fight right now, obviously, that we've been talking about actually too much, uh, but nonetheless, Anthony Joshua uh, against uh, Deontay Wilder. It's the biggest fight in the heavyweight division, and quite honestly, in my opinion, it's the biggest fight in boxing. Now, unfortunately for us, when you have these big, high-profile, high-demand fights, all of the rest of the sport kind of gets kicked to the curb, and promoters and networks are afraid to uh, promote or, or put on anything else, and even if they try, it gets kicked under the, uh, under the carpet, so to speak, uh, because of all the discussion, and he said, she said, with the fight uh, that we're talking about. Well, listen, we talked about it yesterday. It seemed like it was close to being signed. Um, but in my opinion, Deontay Wilder's team blew it. Um, you know, you could last week I blamed both sides, and, and really both sides are to blame. But last week, the whole thing with Eddie Hearn and we're going to send him a contract next week. I'm like, well, you know, why? Why wasn't a con Why did it take a week to get a contract? Well, now that the shoes on the other foot, they get the contract. Team Wilder uh, says, "Yeah, we'll send it back at the end of the week." Um, they knew that there was a time uh, problem going on because of the WBA. Now we all think that those belts are worthless, right? But. Anthony Joshua values having all the belts. So we knew that he was going to have to make this defense. And the WBA, actually, as much as I, I can't stand them, they gave both of these sides more than a month to come up with a deal. Well, the deal seemingly uh, has, uh, has failed, okay? It uh, looks uh, very likely that uh, Anthony Joshua will be fighting Alexander Povetkin uh, set uh, for uh, late September, September 22nd. Uh, Barry Hearn had, uh, I'm sorry, Eddie Hearn had this to say uh, yesterday. He said, the Wilder fight may even be signed before we get in the ring with Alexander Povetkin, which, by the way, that fight should have been signed a month ago, but whatever. He says, so for Joshua, this is a massive pressure on him. And like I said, Povetkin is just, has just one loss, a points loss to Vladimir Klitschko, a very, very tough, experienced man. The important thing uh, for us to maintain uh, the important thing for us is to maintain the belts and not uh, be disrupted by people playing games or people who want to mess around uh, because we're not going to allow that to happen with AJ's career. If Povetkin uh, 
if it will be Povetkin in September, that's for sure. Uh, and then we'll fight Wilder right after if he signs a contract. But the way they're going at this moment, I can't tell you whether this contract's going to get signed in 10 days or 10 years. Joining me right now to get his thoughts uh, is uh, Sal, Rocky Senecola. What's your thoughts? Uh, very upset about this, Bill. You know, uh, you know, this fight seemed to be, as I had said all along, that it's going to be uh, something that we're just going to wake up to, and boom, it's done, signed, it's sealed, delivered. It should only be that simple, that easy. And like I say all the time, you know, when two fighters really want to fight each other, they'll get in a ring and they'll fight each other. So who, who's to blame and what's going on? And, and yes, you got some of the sanctioning bodies uh, with their input and their mandatories. I understand that. They made some concessions early on to allow these two mega heavyweights to meet in the ring and fight. Uh, but these guys have abused the system to, to when I say abuse the system, they just take took their time a little bit too long. And now the the belt are being stripped, and uh, and they're uh, they're basically parrying the punches with the sanctioning bodies and with the fans, and that's not the that's not the way to go. So you know it doesn't look as as likely that this fight is going to happen as each of these fighters would have for their first or next fight with each other. Well, you know the the point is is, is and and I've been saying this. I, I really blame it on Deontay Wilder's team, uh, you know, because at this stage and the way business is running this sport, uh, only so much blame. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm with you because I know what you're thinking. You know, all, uh, the fighter makes the final decision. Um, but unfortunately, the way the political landscape of the sport works, the team, uh, you know, once you sign an agreement to have a team work for you, so to speak, um, you're putting all those eggs in, uh, in that one basket. Uh, Deontay Wilder has been very vocal throughout this whole process. And he's always trying, both sides, not just Wilder, but both sides have always been, well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Well, it's not our, our fault, it's their fault. You know, uh, pointing fingers at each other when at the bottom, uh, of, at the end of the day, the bottom line is that uh, the two fighters could have said, listen, all you guys, stop the nonsense, sign, get us the contract, you know, and, and they didn't. Yes. Deontay yes. Wilder has been very vocal, and he had this to say yesterday, Sal. Um, and I'm going to try to, uh, we do uh, have a lot of uh, radio affiliates that uh, get a little mad at us if uh, uh, we don't use uh, uh, nice words. So I'm going to replace some of these unnice and non-radio sensitive uh, or, or non-radio uh, accepted words with replacement words. So he okay. says, uh, these MFers never ever wanted, and meaning these, meaning Team AJ, never ever wanted this fight, period. It's obvious. They showed signs of it when they didn't want me to get in the ring. Their coward arse MFers lead the boxing fans on for three months. They held this crap up for this very moment. The world has seen the truth, and they are effing cowards. All they had to do is say they were scared to fight me. But instead, they made themselves look like what they are, not stand-up guys and effing scammers. If you're so scared, say you're scared. He could just be the champ of England. F him. Stop with the BS. We did it all. You effers didn't want this to work. You scared M effers. You talk crap, but can't back nothing up. You coward... Uh, uh, 
Heine, <laughs> MFers, and now the people see the truth. I'm so happy it's over. Uh, now I've done uh, so happy. I'm so happy it's over now. I've done my part. The world has seen it. So stay in England with all your BS over here meaning the U.S., we understand and, and can identify a coward arse biatch. I knew I smelt something, uh, and I don't know. I'm so happy this BS is over. P.S. F your uh, offer, you biatch. We've had the last laugh, I promise you. Um. So, so there, I, there goes I, my marketing uh, I, strategy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I, 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 placed it on Wheaties' box. Uh, exactly. Uh, I think we have to re-represent re this. And but, re what's going on? I mean, I, I'm starting to think that, that I, you know, li listen, listen. I, first of all, wow. I don't know about you, but I, I, I just can't, I just can't get past how long it takes to send correspondence back and forth between two teams. I don't care if one is in England and one is in the U.S. We have this new invention. It's called email. I mean, it does not take a week. Now, last week, I was hey, critical. Well, I was, yeah, I was critical of, of, of Eddie Hearn because he's like, oh, yeah, well, they've accepted our deal. Now we'll send him a contract. We'll have it in a week. I'm saying to myself, you know, I, I, I've men, said many times, I, I've never heard of negotiating without a contract in front of you, all right? I, I mean, I, that's crazy. Then, it, once they get the contract, it takes a week for them to respond, okay? So they had the contract for a week. Then they say on Monday that they're going to send it at the end of this week. So, so in a sense, you have a contract for a week and you don't send it back for two weeks. And then... We have to hear uh, this ignorant guy, because let's face it, you know, saying these things, and just like you said, there goes the picture on the Wheaties box. You, you know, you're not going to, you know, Mike Tyson learned uh, early on. Yeah, I mean, he, he had he had uh, uh, Pepsi supporting him. As a matter of fact, uh, next time, if we ever do another huge uh, uh, event, uh, that's one of the things we're going to give away. I have uh, some uh, uh, signed... Uh, Pepsi boxing gloves and boxing robe from Mike wow. Tyson, uh, which uh, are rare. I'll buy them. But 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 in any event, uh, Mike Tyson was dropped uh, from from Pepsi after he wanted to eat some, eat Lennox Lewis children and stuff. I, I mean, you know, it just does it just doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't right. take much, pal. I mean, you what's know? your thoughts on this 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 rant from from Deontay? And and there's one line in this that. I feel speaks the truth. He says, um, you know, I am so happy it's over. I can't help but think that what he's referring to is the negotiation. I think that he's breathed a sigh of relief that he does not have to step in the ring with Anthony Joshua. I I'm sorry, Sal. I know you, you, you like Deontay. I know you thought he was going to win. But I, I, I think that they never intended on getting in the ring. I think they've been trying to spin it so that they could get some free publicity and promote this guy uh, the way his team has failed to. What's your thoughts? I, you know, I I, I really don't agree with that, Bill, but, uh, you know, and I, I can't disagree either. But, 
you know, because it's just so far-fetched. Because not, not only did I go on record saying that I think Deontay Wilder has the element of surprise because of his unorthodox style and that I think it's inevitable over a course of a 12-round fight that he's going to catch um, Anthony Joshua with one of those looping right hands. Uh, I, I just, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit taken by, you know, his comments. And no matter how bad it, it has gotten, I could see where he is referring, uh, referring to the sigh of relief because obviously this has been stress and the pressure and, and all the other stuff. And we don't know both sides. We don't know the rhetoric. We don't know what's going on. We don't know the demands. And, you know, it's hard to say. And if we had a great insight here and uh, we knew what was going on in between the lines, maybe we'd be privy to uh, draw our opinion uh, seeing if, if uh, literally this guy's being held over a barrel or uh, or if it's just unjust and he just doesn't want to fight. But I, I, I cannot imagine Deontay Wilder not wanting to get into the ring with Anthony Joshua. I just can't fathom that. I, you know, I mean, all, all, uh, all he had to do uh, was fight. I, I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is, is Deontay Wilder has, he doesn't have the backing. He doesn't have the fan base. He doesn't make the money. He doesn't have the options. It was, it was stupid of them. You know, yesterday when we were talking about Shelly Finkel saying that they, they lowballed us, they didn't give us a market value offer, the guy is going to fight a, a, another, a, another fighter. And I, and I still think Dominic Brazil will give him uh, some trouble, but He's not even if he makes two and a half million, uh, which he didn't quite hit when he fought uh, his only credible opponent in uh, uh, Luis Ortiz. I mean, that's uh, we're talking about if the offers that that leaked out of of fifteen million guaranteed um, are true. I, I mean, that's twelve and a half million dollars less. And how many fights does he have to fight? You know, Anthony Joshua, he's got. The Pavetkin fight, which let's be real, Pavetkin's no easy win for him. I, I got news for you. His biggest struggles have been against smaller fighters, and Pavetkin's got knockout punch uh, power. He he could easily do it. All right, that's number one. Then he's also has the winner of of Joseph Parker Dillian White as an option. He also has Tyson Fury as an option. These are all financially huge fights. For Anthony Joshua, when you look at uh, when you look at Deontay Wilder, who's he got? The fat pig, Jarrell Miller. Is that the only guy? And I doubt that they would even sign that because Jarrell Miller signed with Eddie Hearn. You know, it, it's 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 so clear. You know, and if anybody, you know, what bothers me the most is that all these people believe Deontay. You know, we've gotten into this point with technology where where everything is instant. And, and what has happened is we as a society have become stupid because we believe all of this stuff. Years ago when you have to, and I'm talking years and years ago, before our time, when all you had was a newspaper, you know, you had different opinions on, on the news and on subjects, et cetera, et cetera. But at least you were able to, to, to read several uh, viewpoints and, and there, it was limited. A lot of the uh, uh, writers and reporters were, were credible. At, you would hope, because otherwise they wouldn't have had the jobs, right? Today, anybody can make a post, and you got people quoting and believing it. Deontay Wilder, you know, how he can sit there and say 
that AJ is ducking him, I don't understand. You know, if I want to fight somebody so bad, the minute I get a contract in my hands, I'm signing it. I'm signing it. Maybe Deontay doesn't know how to write. Maybe he just puts an X when he signs. I don't know. Maybe he's as dumb as he's acting. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, is let's be real. AJ's in the driver's seat. There's no, there's no qualms about that. Nobody could sit here and justify and tell me that Deontay's in the driver's seat. Do you think, hey, you're the big fan of Deontay Wilder, Sal. Is he in the driver's seat here? No, I don't think he, I don't believe he's in the driver's seat, but I know he's the willing dance partner that needs to uh, uh, meet the guy on, on, on the, the terms that uh, are banged out there for each fighter to agree to. Um, but he's not in the driver's seat. It's more of the predicated on the demands of, or on the wishes of uh, Anthony Joshua, simply for the fact that he's got, uh, if you will, and I'll use the term gravitas in this sense. Uh, I mean, uh, the guy's got the, he, he, he's got a machine that's established. He's got his money-making machine. He's got his, uh, his marketing. He's got his promotional outfit. He's got a lot of things going for him that Deontay Wilder at this stage in his career should have had equally on the same basis, but he does not. Because um, uh, I, I think he's very deserving out of 40 wins and 39 knockouts and a heavyweight championship belt of the world. I mean, this guy should have been, like I always say, a little bit more uh, exposed as far as a known commodity to the uh, United States fans here. And he should have been pushed and marketed, and, and uh, he would have had some of that, that share of the fame and of the gravitas, if you will. Um, but it doesn't stop the fight from being made. What's stopping this fight from being made are either conditions that we are unaware of or that uh, it's just not uh, making sense to both teams. That's, that's the only reason, because these, these are two for guys. They claim they want to fight each other. They claim they want to do it for the sport of boxing because they want to prove that they are the best heavyweight champion in the world at this time, and it's inevitable that they get in the ring, and they should prove it in the square circle. But if by they're not doing, making this happen, it's showing there's a little bit of uh, um, yellow on one side or another. Yeah, um, I, I, listen, it, it boils down to the value, in my opinion. And the value here, a, a, listen, Deontay Wilder had the opportunity to, to flip the table, man. He had the opportunity, in my, and, and let, me, let me just say this, and I've said this many times before, Deontay Wilder isn't really at fault here. It's the, the, only, the only fault I put on his back is that he's staying loyal, which I do respect loyalty 100%, that he's staying loyal to the guys that are robbing him blind. These guys aren't doing right by Deontay. No, and that's and, they are. and they're not. They're not. It's, it's sad. You know? But the truth of the matter is, is if you're a person, if you're a fighter specifically, and you're trying to, to, to you know, increase your value, increase your, your, your notoriety, all that stuff, you need a stepping stone to get there. All fighters haven't just, very rarely, let me rephrase that, very rarely do fighters just bust onto the scene and, and just catapult themselves to the top without, without you know, beating somebody to get their recognition. We're talking about Ter Terrence Crawford, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, Deontay Wilder had a perfect opportunity. You sign the paper, you go over, and you knock AJ out. 
End of story. Now, all of a sudden, the tables have turned, and Deontay's in the driver's seat. Deontay's the guy making $20 million a fight. Deontay's the, the, the king of the heavyweights. Not just because he says so. One of the most irritating things about Floyd Mayweather was his fans. And same thing, same thing. The most irritating thing about the Yankees are their fans, you know. And, and, Easy. The, and the, it's Easy. the truth. It's it's the truth. And 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 the the the, the problem here is just because a fighter says I can beat so and so, the fans buy into it. Yep. Yeah. He doesn't need to fight. Floyd used to. Floyd had his fans so brainwashed that he would make comments like, I could beat Triple G, so I don't even have to fight him. And his fans would say, yeah, it's true. Why should he fight him? He knows he could beat him. You know, what What kind of crap is that? Well, that's what Deontay's trying to oh, say. Oh, man. You know, I, I mean, isn't it true? Isn't, isn't that what he's trying to say in a sense? I mean, he's trying to say he could beat him. And, uh, you know, but this this is this is going above and beyond the reality of uh, the situation. I mean, <laughs> you cannot just verbally beat somebody into submission and then have your hand raised in victory. You've got to get in a ring. <laughs> and uh, that's that's the um, the apathy I'm seeing here, because, you know, you have two fighters that claim they want to fight each other. And like I've always said. If they really want to fight each other, we'll see a great fight. But um, somebody, somebody's wearing a yellow collar. I don't know who. Um, but because uh, this fight should should have been uh, a little less complicated for in order for these guys to get in the ring and show us who is the best heavyweight champion in the world. Well, listen, there's only one way to prove it, and you got to get in the ring. Hold that thought. Sure. We're going to take a short break. When we come back. Uh, we got some more on this. Larry Hazard coming up. Our blast from the past is on Tim Witherspoon. Don't go nowhere. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And, um, you know, as you always like to say, Sal, point, counterpoint, uh, I did get, and by the way, a lot of uh, some of the quotes that we had said earlier, uh, my man, want to thank uh, my main man once again, our UK correspondent, Johnston Brown. But another guy um, out of the UK, uh, my man Dan, uh, he sent uh, me an email. He says, uh, hey, Billy C., I heard from a very reliable source that AJ and Wilder have actually signed uh, to fight at the end of this year. Uh, and that had always been the plan. AJ will fight Povetkin next. Wilder will be ringside. And then they'll announce the unification, providing Joshua wins. Risky strategy, if you ask me. All the name-calling is to build it up. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is my point. For, first of all, I have said thanks for the uh, uh, email. You've Dan. said it all along. I've said though. it all along. And, and, all and, and, but but here's, here's my hang-up with that. It's too risky. Risky. It's too risky. risky to do it. I mean, in this division, anybody. I mean, 
you know, anybody can knock anybody else out. It doesn't Let's matter stop. who's supposed to win and who should win and who's most likely going to win, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about landing a shot. And I, it's stupid on AJ's point to assume he's going to have no trouble with Povetkin. The only smart move I could see if this is the case is Deontay Wilder, believe it or not. And Deontay Wilder, if he waits and fights uh, AJ next and avoids getting in the ring with uh, Dominic Brazil. Now, remember, the WBC has not mandated an opponent for um, uh, Deontay Wilder until the fall. So he's got the time to sit and wait. And then that falls back to our question yesterday. Who does that benefit? I don't think waiting hurts Deontay because of his style. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, if that were the plan? Well, we spoke about that, and it, it would be a strategy that I would not be surprised to follow and see. Um, you know, have these two fighters, instead of facing each other with the next fight, facing their other opponents, or watching Deontay Wilder sit back and uh, be ringside. Yes, Deontay, I said fly over and be ringside for the Anthony Joshua fight. And, uh, you know, I think I think that could be a scenario. It's not the one I would like to see. And, and you know, you, you do have an inherent risk whenever you have a 220-pound-plus uh, fist coming at you and if it catches you, any, any, any fighter could win. Uh, or get caught, or get hurt, and like I said, there's too many variables. You've got training to get through in six to eight weeks of that, with running, uh, sparring, hitting bags, breaking knuckles. You could do whatever you want to do. You, I mean, you, 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 you're, you're still not guaranteed you're going to get through the training, let alone a fight unscathed. So it's a lot of risk to take for a mega fight that they do intend to follow up with and give to the fans before the end of this year, which will be great. And uh, even if they each had their prospective opponents, and let's say that uh, Deontay Wilder does go in the ring with, uh, or does get into the ring with uh, um, uh, Dominic Brazil, yeah, he should beat him on paper. He should beat him fairly easily. I think he'll stop him before the eighth round. Um, but with that being said, it's still a risk. Why take the risk for uh, a, a, a million or two million dollars when you're going to be guaranteed? $15 million. Uh, it's the same thing you and I have said. And yes, uh, Anthony Joshua should get past his opponent as well. And uh, all things said and done and completed, yeah, then we'll have a decent fight at the end of the year. But why risk it with these with this little sidestep um, preliminary fights, if you will? Yeah, I, well, listen, um, the one thing that uh, Anthony Joshua has maintained is that he he values all the belts. One of his goals is to have all the belts, and you know with that comes the mandatories. You yes, know, uh, so I mean, and and you know that's the issue that makes Deontay Wilder specifically because I know that Shelly Finkel uh, knows this, but Deontay Wilder and all of his crony fans don't get the part about there was a time limit on things. There was never a sense of urgency. The, the comments from Deontay Wilder make it sound as if they, listen, the analogy I use about the kid, the kid who gets in trouble for doing whatever and gets sent to his room 
gets mad at mom and dad or whoever for sending him to the room. He forgets the reason why he got sent to the room. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the same thing. At, that's the same thing with that's Deontay Wilder. Enough. He's blaming AJ and his team for not signing the fight, but there was never a sense of urgency from Team Wilder from day one. And even when the WBA, who was all strict and saying that they were going to strip uh, AJ, they still gave them extra time to negotiate the deal because all the sanctioning bodies at least agree that unifications get priority. And even Povetkin's team, who has the money to stage a huge fight uh, against Anthony Joshua, even they would be impatient to wait and see if Deontay Wilder's team would sign. So at the end of the day, I'm sorry. We can find faults with AJ and his team, and we can certainly find faults with Deontay and his team. But the truth of the matter is, is the majority of the fault has to be put on team Deontay Wilder. I'm sorry. It does. And people can, can you know, hate us. They talk about, oh, I, I'll go listen to another show because they'll talk about it. I don't give a crap if you go listen to You know, that's the problem with the way news is presented today. You can listen to one channel and hear one version of news and then go listen to another channel and hear another cha- version of the same news. You know, that that's not news. That's that's stories, you know, and, and I don't care one way or another. And, you know, I was getting criticized in the chat room before saying that I'm only calling Jarrell Miga, uh, Miller a fat pig because now he's going to fight. Uh, uh, now he's potentially going to fight Deontay Wilder, and I didn't call him a fat pig when he was going to fight AJ. Sal, how often has I, have I called Jarrell Miller a fat pig? I don't think I, – I think I can count on one hand, maybe. maybe but, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, one hand you know. if he, On one hand, if you were a spider, come on. I call him a fat pig every chance I get. The guy can't every pass day. a buffet. You do. you do all the time. You, you call him a, a fraud, a fat pig. Right, right. Right, and, right now you're and, talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shooting straight. But, uh, and, you know, uh, I, I just uh, – is he in the same class and category? I, you know, after I saw him fight last time, I, I, I don't think, I don't think we're gonna miss him at all if he wasn't in the top, top of the game. Um, it's just, uh, it is what it is, Bill. You know, this is, this is the game as we see it today, and how it unfolds and how it uh, gives us what we, what we could appreciate, but how it many times gives us things that, uh, that uh, we only see being resurrected or being. Uh, uh, done just to fill in the voids that are in so many uh, empty voids out there in, in the divisions. Yeah, I mean, it's just, listen, um, it's just sad. It's sad that, that this sport, um, you know, can't write uh, itself, can't can't write the ship, so to speak, because, you know, you have these fights, you have the demand for the fights, and yet, uh, this whole marination let's marinate you know i got news for you i think more people are being turned away from not only this fight but for the sport to, from the sport because of this fight and because of the nonsense that went on with with triple g and canelo i mean the two big arguably the two biggest fights that you know should be made right now dragged out and caused the fans grief and then wait there's more because the terence crawford errol spence fight that we all want we just heard we just read the 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 quotes from 
from uh, Terrence Crawford the other day quoting his own guy in Bob Arum saying, well, we, you know, we're definitely going to fight, but we're going to wait a few fights first. Uh, we want this to marinate. So the demand, I don't agree with that. I think that the demand, you got to hit when the iron's hot and then there'll be another big fight that'll fall into place by making fans wait for a fight that they desire pushes them away, Sal. It, I, I don't understand. It's same thing with these streaming things. The streaming services are definitely the future, but why limit your viewing audience to that? It, uh, I said yesterday, the best approach for, for ESPN Plus and, and Dazzling is to, is to offer it at a lower price and get the consumer used to it and then flip the switch, not the other way around. No, and you're right again, Bill. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, there's going to be fights made or fights that evolve or, or two motivating factors that will make things happen are the human spirit. And the two factors are either for the need or for the greed. And, you know, this that, that's that's the bottom line. You want to see two motivating emotions or, 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 or uh, necessary ingredients to any contract or any deal is going to be those two things, the need or the greed. And, um, you know, this heavyweight championship bout between Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua had those two elements uh, in it, the need and the greed. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just uh, surprisingly that this fight is not going to take place as we uh, hopefully or, or, or thought it would. Uh, will it take place? Yeah, I think it will eventually take place, hopefully by the, the end of the year. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a shame that uh, we are being uh, flocked as fans and not getting the best of what we, what we anticipated uh, being at the timely manner that it should have been. It's a shame. It's it is a shame. shame. And you know what? Like you said, hey, guess what? Even though the Manny Pacquiao, uh, um, Floyd Mayweather fight was a big draw, this and that, it was so anticlimactic. It should have been five years earlier. It should have been even three years earlier. But, uh, you know, is this fight going to take that long to marinate? No, it's not going to take that long because, you know what, who's going to say these guys are still going to have a belt or even be in boxing five years from now? Uh, the bottom line is they, they have the iron. The iron's hot now. they got to strike it. And uh, so uh, I, I, I like the earlier comment or email or hint that this deal was already signed, sealed, and it's just going to be delivered later in this year after they have uh, Anthony Joshua fight in his mandatory. Like Steven Tyler once said, dream on, Sal, dream on. We're going to take a short break, Sal. No, no, you. no. He we're... said, dream on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sal, we're kicking you to the curb for a little bit. We'll talk to you later. Uh, everybody else, don't go anywhere. We are going to take a short break. We're scheduled to have Larry Hazard join us uh, in about um, two minutes. Billy C. will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent you. 
the one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. So we want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C., the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at billycboxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today and joining us right now like he always does on this day during the week is uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. Hey, good morning, Billy. How you doing, Billy? Uh, I'm a little, uh, you know, answer me this. You know, boxing, we get these big fights that we all want, right? And then, and, and it wasn't always like this, but more recently over the last 20 years, let's say, you know, you get these big fights. Not only is it big for the specific division, it's big for the sport, and it's in demand by the fans. So so common sense would say, let's give it to them. Because, you know, years gone by, not only did the fans get it, but we would get another fight after that. There would, there's always another great, big, huge fight that's in demand after a big, huge fight that was in demand. But now... The blueprint seems to let it marinate. They use that Bob Arum term. Let us let it marinate. And we end up with these fights that become anticlimactic. Or we end up with these sagas like the uh, Triple G and Canelo saga that push people away. And now, more recently, the uh, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder uh, saga. Um, You know, I can't help but think that the team of Deontay Wilder has shot themselves in the foot. What's your thoughts? Are you there, Larry? Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, sometimes I think, you know, they, they, they're guilty of overreaching. You know, we talked about this at length. And now, you know, with Joshua, the pressure is on now for him to um, satisfy his mandatory with Povetkin all because they've been dragging this thing out and out. You know, and it loses. It, it, in the end, we all lose. The fans who were hyped up to see the fight, who really wanted the fight, it's t- to me, it's the only heavyweight fight that really makes sense at this point in terms of fan appeal and everything else. I think, I think these are the two best heavyweights in the world. And... Um, you know, the fans want to see it, and they should fight. But uh, once again, uh, we get down to that, that what I call that big G factor, that greed factor, because that's what happens in these um, situations. It's the greed that usually sets in. The guys overreach. Everybody's got their own individual agenda, I would imagine. 
um, looking at the um, people who are advising um, Deontay Wilder, uh, of course, I have nothing but the greatest respect for those guys, but I certainly disagree with them vehemently uh, by the way in which they've been going about the negotiations for this fight. I mean, I thought that the original deal that they were offered was a great deal that had the potential of two or possibly even three fights, which would have made, just speaking for Deontay Wilder, who in my opinion has really not made a lot of money, I think that uh, that, that original deal had the potential of making him a pretty wealthy guy, especially if he if he won, which I'm sure he has all the confidence in the world that he could that he could beat Joshua. And and like I've said many times before now, based on his last performance, uh, you know, I got I gotta give him a little bit of an edge, uh, based on Joshua's past last performance. So I think that uh in in, in summary I think that Wilder is the guy that um, is being disserved more than Joshua in this overall picture. I really do. Uh, so I've I've lost a little bit of my um, fervor for even seeing these guys. You know, I'm sick of these guys, man. That's my I'm point. Sick of these, you know, I'm, I'm, I've lost a little bit of the steam. I, I could care less. You know, I'm turning my attention now to the welterweight division. You know, there are some potential matchups there, especially after I just finished watching this Errol Spence and, of course, the um, uh, Crawford. You know, uh, I'm, I'm really looking with great enthusiasm to some of the matchups now in the welterweight division. Hold that, you know, later, ho- hold that thought because I'm going to get to that in a second, which is kind of going to follow this, and it's, it's, not, it's not good. But I, I agree with you. On the AJ Deontay thing, uh, based on Anthony Joshua's last two performances, not just the last one, but the two, um, he did not look all that great. And and I agree. Even though it seemed that Deontay's team finagled uh, uh, some more money out of the deal, the last uh, uh, figures I heard was fifteen million guaranteed uh, to fight him. You know, with a two fight deal. Um, you're right. I mean, this man could have made millions. I mean, life-changing money. And I still believe, I don't think he's the sharpest tool in the shed. I, I'll admit that right now. But he is a loyal guy. And he. I think his team is is, is screwing him. I, I hate to say it, but I, they, you know, Larry, just answer me this. And, and I know everybody, and, and, and I agree. I think a lot of people are losing interest. I think this whole marination is shooting the sport in the foot. But uh, let me ask you this. Um, do you think that um, uh, that Anthony Joshua, I, I, I mean, uh, the Deontay Wilder, do you think that there's any reason why it would take not one but two weeks at the end of the day to respond to a contract and then say you're going to send it again at the end of the week when you knew that the time was ticking on this pressure from a, a sanctioning body that's forcing a, a mandatory mandatory defense. You know, I, I, you, how how do you figure some of these 
some of the stuff that these guys do, Billy, you know, is beyond my cognition, man. I have no idea. You know, I hate to think that I don't think that either one of these guys are afraid of each other. You know, I, I don't think fear is a factor here because, you know, money can change that that uh, fear factor. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I just think it's sometimes it's just that these guys cannot rise to the level of cognition. You know, sometimes the intellect can is only uh, only goes so far and they can't see the big picture. You know, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees type of situation. And I think that's more the case here. You know, um, most of these fighters are not what you call great businessmen. Others have proven themselves to be somewhat more business-wise than, than some of the others. But I think what you have here, especially in the uh, Wilder case, I think that here's a guy who, as you say, you know, the loyalty, and certainly uh, I'm, I'm a guy who's a stickler for loyalty, but loyalty only goes so far, man. In, in the fight game, you know, when, when it's clear that things are not being um, are negotiated in your best interest, okay, if you can uh, understand that, then you have to make other decisions, loyalty aside, okay, because the people that are not negotiating or that are not acting in your best interest, Where's their loyalty to you? You know, loyalty is a two-way street. So I think that that's what Wilder needs to do. He needs to, if he can, he needs to sit down and just reevaluate this whole picture and look at the factors involved here and start making some decisions for himself. And I think that he'll, uh, he'll fare much better if he did that. That's, that's the way I see it. Well, I, I'm with you. I, nobody gives more credit to loyalty than me. I, it's one of the most important things uh, in in life, in my opinion. And I do give Deontay a lot of credit. Uh, but business is business. And all yeah. he's got to do is look at his paycheck stubs and see that, you know, this is a man who's fought. Forget about I could critique and criticize every opponent that he's fought. You could do that with every fighter, okay? But at the end of the yeah. day, he's 40-0 and 0 with 39 knockouts, and he's not a household name in the U.S. Forget about worldwide. You know, yes. when, when you walk around, uh, they were walking around asking people uh, before he was fighting uh, his last fight at, at the Barclays Center who he was, and, and people didn't know of him. Then he said, well, maybe you'll know him if you show a picture. They show a picture of Deontay Wilder, and, and I think 9 out of 10 thought he was a basketball player, which – by the way, I can't blame him because he does have the physique of a, of a basketball player, you know. But, but at the end of the day, that's lack of promotion, Larry. You know, the man yep. is out there. Whether he's, whether he's got a screw loose or not, the comments that he says, it, it's almost like he's forced to say it because it's the only way he gets his name and photos in print is when he says he wants to kill somebody in a ring and then this latest uh, rant about... Uh, them being afraid of him, and and I'm I'm with yeah. you. There, nobody's a, listen. If you're a pro boxer, you're not afraid of nobody. I mean, come on. Anybody that says that they're afraid, and whoever buys into that, 
They don't know this sport. They've never fought. They've never got a punch in the face. There, there's a there, there's a sense of there's no fear in fighters. I'm sorry, there isn't. You know, any fighter, whether you never won a fight in your life or whether you never lost a fight in your life, you're not afraid of anyone. A am I wrong about that? No, I agree with you 100%. I agree. You know, fighters have doubt. Sometimes they have doubt against their opponents, which is not good, okay? But, you know, they, the level of confidence can be worked on and built up. But fear, no, no. No, these guys, you know, they, they, they know what they're buying into going in. When they go in, they're putting their lives on the line. They're actually putting their lives on the line because, you know, the head, the head is not designed to uh, take punches, to be hit on. So that right there, it, it demonstrates a certain level of bravery, okay, just by them uh, entering into the profession. So I agree with you 100%. You know, that, that there's no fear here. In, in this uh, in this picture with these heavyweights, especially with these two. There's no element of fear. You know, that's all hype. Deontay Wilder, you know, that's all hype, and he knows it, okay? But um, I, I really think that uh, he's, he's being, dis, he's being uh, disserved, and um, it's unfortunate that he doesn't see the, the, the full picture, okay? And, um, you know... Uh, like I said before, uh, I'm, I've lost interest. I, I, I've really lost interest in the Wilder uh, Joshua fight. And, you know, again, you made a very good point uh, a few minutes ago when you talk about uh, recognition and no one at the Barclay Center, you know, even knew who he was. How do you not know who the baddest, so-called baddest man on the planet, the heavyweight division, the premier division of boxing okay and that's poor promotion for anyone not to know who Deontay Wilder is okay when let's let's go back okay to the guy who celebrated um, 30 years ago Spinks Tyson when Tyson was 10 and 0 with the expert promotion and, and all of the other stuff that went with it, everyone knew who Mike Tyson was when he was 10 and 0. They knew that this kid was going to be something special, okay? When his record was 10 and 0. Yep. Okay? So now here you got a guy, Deontay Wilder, okay, who's the heavyweight champion already, and you got people... Uh, at, at a major arena thinking that he's a basketball player. That's an embarrassment. And when he heard that, he should have, you know, taken a look at what the hell is going on here, you know, because I'm sure he heard it, you know. So that's when he should have really started to question things. You know, you know so I, it's unfortunate. I want to add something to that, and you bring up a great point. Mike Tyson, everybody knew who he was after 10, 12 fights, uh, you know, he was a, a huge draw and, and in big demand back then. And and there's a there's a there's a there's a parallel between Tyson and uh, Deontay Wilder. And that parallel is Shelly Finkel. So if Shelly Finkel helped promote uh, uh, Mike Tyson, why is he failing so much with Deontay Wilder? I believe that Deontay Wilder truly believes that he's the best fighter on the planet. But I think his team thinks otherwise. That's that's very possible. 
that's very possible. But I don't really give Shelly Finkel. Uh, I, I differ with you slightly there, although there is a lot of truth in what you say about Shelly Finkel. But Finkel came later. It was Caton and Jacob. No doubt, no doubt. And, of course, Customata, right. who really did the promoting of Tyson. You know, Tyson was already really a big success when Finkel jumped on board. But he should have, you know, but, but, but he should. But, but he, he, he did have some input into it. So, you know, yes, you, 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 I agree with you. I definitely agree with you there that there is a parallel. Right. And Shelly Finkel is the, he is the common denominator here. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Deontay better start looking around and, and, and just reevaluating that whole uh, loyalty concept. That's all. That's all I'm saying. No, no, I, I, I wasn't suggesting that Finkel was with them. I, obviously, you know, uh, Jacobs and, and Customato and uh, um, uh, Bill Clayton were, 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 the, were the main guys. There's no question. But, you know, a guy like Finkel who came on later, and I yeah. think that was after, yeah. uh, uh, I, it might have even been after Kevin Rooney was out of the picture. I mean, he did come yeah. way later. Um he saw what the success, what the blueprint for success was. You would think that he would carry that over. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, Danny Garcia's career, um, Shelly Finkel was with him early on and, and moved him along correctly. There, there's there's got to be another reason with, with Deontay. But, um, you know, I, I uh, think that more people are losing interest uh, not only in this fight but in boxing. And, and like I promised you, uh, let's talk real quick about some of these other fights in these other divisions. Like you just said, in the welterweight division, unfortunately, Keith Thurman, is uh, they're looking for him. I saw his picture on a milk carton the other day, and only people that are a little, only people that are a little older even understand because I don't think they've done yeah. that in, in quite a long time. But, um, you know, everybody wants to see Errol Spence, who destroyed Carlos Ocampo a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Terrence Crawford looked fantastic against Jeff Horn. And then, of course, everybody wants to see uh, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. Well, Terrence Crawford said earlier this week that um, he's definitely going to fight Errol Spence. Because Errol Spence says, I'll fight him. I'll fight Keith Thurman. I'll fight all the best right now. I'm ready. Let's do it. Um, and Terrence Crawford was quoted as basically saying, and I'm going to paraphrase here, um, that fight is going to happen. But we want to marinate the fight to, to get more interest in it. So we're going to fight a couple other fights first. This is the problem, Larry, with this sport. For some reason, all the big uh, powers that be in this sport, whether they be television networks, promoters, etc., all feel that they have to tantalize the boxing fan and wait for fights to marinate and feed the fan with fights that aren't competitive and don't mean anything. I think that this is one of the main reasons that's preventing our sport from getting to the where you know to the point where it was years ago. And and quite honestly, and no one loves the the previous uh, fighters more than me historically going way back. Um, today we have bigger, stronger, and better athletic fighters that we've ever seen, and yet. We're not seeing the excitement in this sport. And I think that the marination process is one of the main reasons. What's your thoughts? No, you, you, you're right. I, see, they're using, I, I don't know where they get this theory from, you know, this marinating uh, the fight. You know, you can overcook anything. You can overmarinate, you know, anything 
to the point where, you know, you destroy it. You know, you burn it up. You know, it's, hey, if you were to announce that Terrence Crawford is going to fight Errol Spinks next month or uh, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, trust me, trust me, you're going to sell out the arena. And um, it, 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 I don't think it's going to make any difference if they fight three other opponents first before they meet or if they just fight in two months or three months. I don't know where this comes from. But what I do believe, and I'm a staunch believer in that, you cannot, nothing is assured um, in the sport of boxing. You know, uh, boxing is not like death. You know, death is assured for all of us. But uh, in boxing, you know, it's nothing is assured. A win certainly is not assured. So in the marination process, okay, you know, you got this big glamorous fight on the horizon, but you want to marinate it, and you want these guys to fight a few fights with lesser guys so that you can build up the so-called build-up. Anything can happen. Any one of them could lose, or uh, they could not look good. They could get injured. Anything or, or, or in boxing. And there goes the money. There goes the interest and everything else, you know. And that's the, that's the great risk that you run when you, you know, you go through this so-called marination process. And I think that all of that stems from greed. I don't know of any fight that was so-called marinated that made that fight any bigger than if the two fighters had fought when everybody wanted to see him, you know, I could be wrong, but you know, that's my feeling on this whole thing. You know, I was ready to see Ray Leonard fight Roberto Duran. I was ready to see Ray Leonard fight Tommy Hearns when they were both at their peak, you know, when they were coming up, they didn't have to marinate that fight. You know, when, when those guys, when we saw the greatness in all of those guys and then we realized the potential matchups we were ready to see him. I didn't need to see them fight nobody else. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's. I think this marination crap is driven strictly by greed, and 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 eventually, you know, it's gonna it's gonna blow up in all of these um, promoters and so-called advisors' faces. I just I, like just like this Wilder Joshua. I, I agree a hundred percent. And 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 just to add to it. And, and greed is the killer. And just to add yeah. to the greed issue, it's the same thing that they're doing with these streaming services. ESPN Plus and, and Dazden, which is going to be here in the States soon, um, are, are great examples, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I, I've said two years ago that the future was going to be that, okay? And, and I'm supportive of it. But the greed factor is forcing these uh, promoters to say, listen, we want to cut out the middleman, which is the, the distributor. You know, when you do a pay-per-view uh, and then you have your cable companies distribute it to their viewers and, and DirecTV and, and uh, Dish and all of those other, that those are distributors. There's a middleman. So they, they're, they're taking a piece of that pie, right? So, so what these guys are doing is, well, we're going we're gonna to directly give our product to the consumer. We're going to cut out the middleman, therefore putting more money in our pockets, which is great. And, and it is technology and it is the future, et cetera, et cetera. But 
when you're dealing with these types of fighters that you're trying to build up and make you know worldwide recognizable names you want to put them in front of as many eyes as you can so therefore by cutting the cord too quickly you're cutting money out of your pocket. Now, they might have numbers and a formula that says, well, we're going to lose X amount, but because we're cutting out the middleman, we're still going to put more money in our pocket. But that's not that's looking out for you, not the sport. If I were doing it, I would have said, okay, I want the streaming, but let's, I used the analogy yesterday. Let's, like you're getting in a cold pool, right? Put your big toe in there first, you know, get used to the water, then jump in, right? Well, the thing is, is why not do that with these streaming companies? Offer it at a half price. Offer it at a little cheaper. Get people used to it. Then cut the cord. By doing it in one shot, like what they did to poor Terrence Crawford, that was a greed move that that Terrence Crawford is being... Listen, I think... uh, I I don't know how deep you want to get into that, but the truth of the matter is, is I think Bob Arum is not doing Terrence Crawford any justice by sticking him on a a streaming service when he should have been on uh, a a network that people could have seen more of him. He's devaluing his own guy for his own benefit, and that's what seemingly is going to happen with this Dazden network. It's... They need to introduce it, but they need to introduce it, introduce it at a slow and steady pace, not dive into the cold water. That's my thoughts. What do you think about that? Well, well, well. You know, once again, you know, when when things are greed driven, and it's quite obvious that all of these moves are greed driven. This is what you see, and of course, I think you're very eloquent in the way that you dissected that. Okay, and I agree with you 100%. Okay, but then you have to look at who's always on the losing end, the, uh, the fighter. The fighter's always on the losing end, and his career is um, used as a, um, a guinea pig where they, okay, let's try this, let's try that, when in fact, you know, like you say, Crawford, especially in that last fight, everybody's searching where, 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 you know, he should be right. He should be in front of as many eyes. As a matter of fact, he should be free television in in his front in front of as many eyes as can see him. You understand? So that uh, his popularity, his name recognition, and everything else goes through the ceiling. But the greed factor draws these promoters into well. Let's try this. Let's try that. Okay and with no consideration for, you know, the fighter and the fighter's career at that point. So, you know, I think it's going to blow up on a lot of these guys more and more as time goes on. Yeah, but you know, who, you know who's still going to benefit are, are, are the guys that are promoting it. The, the, the Bob Arams and, and the Eddie Hearns, they, they roll the dice. They get all the money from these networks. They're putting it in their pocket. And the guy who's getting basically screwed is the fighters because they're the ones that, you know, their purses are going to be kept in check and and they'll be able to be shown a a, a chart that says, hey, you know, you're not as popular, et cetera, et cetera. This is why you're only making X amount of money. And the real reason is they're the ones that are preventing it because they're able to make more money. It's it's uh, it's terrible, really. And, and, And what bothers me is there's so many people that don't see it, Larry, you know, and, and it starts with the fans. They're, they believe anything. If they see a tweet, they believe it, whether it's true or not. You know, it's like I said earlier, you could tune into one specific network and hear a story 
and, and get one version and then hear the same story on another network and hear a totally different version of it. So where's the truth? You know what I mean? I mean, it's, yeah. it's terrible. It's terrible. And it's sad that fighters really don't have the business acumen to understand that, you know. Um, you well, know, look at, that's a whole other story. It is, and, and it, it is, and I'm out of time, but you bring up a great thing. Errol Spence said this week, I don't need a promoter. He says, I don't need a promoter, and, and I strongly disagree with that. And, and, and the reason why is that a guy like Errol Spence, who's as talented as, it, as he is, He's in a position to negotiate a better deal with a promoter, but he shouldn't assume that he doesn't need one. A promoter brings something that a single fighter doesn't bring when it comes to the negotiation table. And that is, and it's sad to say, Larry, but you know it better than anyone, that fighters are, are basically uh, considered inventory. They're a part. They're a, they're, they're, a, they're a commodity. They're not a human being. They're a commodity. They're, they're a piece of inventory. And when a promoter goes and talks to a television network and says, hey, you know, I want to put my fighter on here, the network says, hey, you know, this promoter's got 10 world champions. We could get a couple of fights out of him. Errol Spence is going to the bargaining table with one guy. And, and that's what he doesn't see. And, and, and fighters... You know, unfortunately, fighters have to devote 100% of their time to training and fighting. And I do think that, you know, trying to negotiate your contract, trying to be the businessman and the fighter, you're going to lose something there in the process. So, you know, I cannot argue against a fighter having a good promoter. A great promoter who, um, it, it's too bad that fighters' mothers couldn't be their promoters, you know, because <laughs> if you can't trust your mother, you can't trust anybody. I, you know I, what I mean? Yes, I do. And, and, and they shouldn't let the fathers be the trainers because they're too tough for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's some shortcomings there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, Larry, great as usual, and uh, we'll look forward to you next week, brother. Okay, Billy. Take care. Have a good one. You too. That's my man Larry Hazard uh, telling it like it is. Listen, we're going to take a short break. Uh, Blast from the past coming up next. Tim Witherspoon. Don't go anywhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And it's that time again. Yep, we're in our 15th year doing this show. Uh, not only have we uh, been on uh, uh, the internet and we're on podcasts, radio, TV, etc., 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 but uh, one of our longest-running segments is this one, our Blast from the Past. And today's Blast from the Past is being brought to us by uh, KOFantasyBoxing.com. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. 
Facebook.com. Sign up, join today. And it's also being brought to us in part by the Title Bout Championship Computer Game, a great game that we use for this uh, well, it can be used for many things, but we utilize it. Let me let me use that word. We utilize it for this segment. Uh, download your copy today. You can get your copy and join KOFantasyBoxing.com by visiting BillyCBoxing.com and click on the banners. Today's uh, Blast from the Past features former world heavyweight champion Tim Witherspoon. And joining us right now to tell us all about Terrible Tim is Terrible Alex Propali. What's up, Alex? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, Tim Witherspoon, interesting guy, man, because, uh, you know, there's a couple of fighters, and, and we're going to bring them up uh, uh, in our blast in the near future, where I think fighters sometimes were moved along and got their big opportunity too soon. And it seems to have haunted and, and driven their career from that point on. And I kind of think Tim Witherspoon is one of those guys. Tell us about him. That's a good point, yeah. Um, you know, in a way, this guy maybe couldn't avoid it because he got such a late start that um, there was a lot of um, on-the-job training that he got. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, I think the other guy that – comes right to mind and was sort of more ruined in a, one of those fights too early. It's probably Fernando Vargas. And he's he's the guy. He's he's one of the two I'm talking about. Fernando Vargas and the other one is Francisco Bahado. Remember him? Remember the young kid? He 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 was uh, he the, and and boys and girls get ready because we're going to do blast on both and I'm coming up because of this one of of today's Tim Witherspoon. Both those guys rushed along. They they had all of their potential and then all of a sudden boom. You know, but anyway, let's finish with Tim. Yeah, with Tim Witherspoon, of course, he had the um, almost win against uh, Larry Holmes. But instead of that, the, the savageness of that fight that ruined him, maybe his head got a little too big. Um, and then I think the other big thing that we're going to get to is um, promotional managerial issues really started with that fight. And those haunted Tim Witherspoon his whole career. But, yeah, he was born December 27th. Uh, terrible Tim Witherspoon, born December 27th, 1957. Uh, he got the the nickname Terrible from the greatest himself when he worked as a sparring partner. He was six foot. Uh, he is six foot three and a half inches tall, has a 78 inch reach. Uh, he started his career probably around 198. Um, and he grew up in South Philadelphia. He did not start boxing until late, like I mentioned. Um, in high school, he played football, and he was a tight end um, at South Philadelphia High School. I guess he was so good that he got a scholarship to Lincoln University in Missouri, and it was there. Uh, it, it was an eventually uh, an injury that sort of put an end to his football career. He injured some vertebrae in his back. Um as opposed to the vertebrae in your legs. Um, but um, the, uh, he de debuted in 1979. Um, well, actually, he had, let's start his amateur career. It was very brief. He had about seven amateur fights. He learned to box at the Pass Young Gym in South Philadelphia. Um, he first got the taste of boxing where uh, it was another person, uh, a New Yorker, in college who had some gloves, and they put them on, and uh, 
did a little bit of, you know, impromptu sparring, and he really handled himself well. He kind of whacked the guy out right there. And when he grew up in South Philadelphia, you can't be from Philadelphia without being influenced by boxing to some degree. And uh, some of his brothers, he had, I think he had 11 brothers and sisters. So some of his um, family had been into boxing. And he went to this gym and started working there with a trainer that the trainer didn't know anything about boxing as as well as he did. And across the gym was an old trainer named Slim Jim Robinson, who it was killing him to watch this guy give Tim Witherspoon, who was this athletically uh, gifted, like 23-year-old kid, see him training uh, him and doing things all wrong. Uh, so pretty soon Slim Jim was able to work his way across the gym and got in, involved with Tim, and that's uh, who trained him for almost, I think, all but one fight of his professional career. Um, but uh, that he got his start right then uh, working with sparring partners. He liked it so much better than a job working at um, the, uh, the hospital there in um, Philadelphia where he was working in the kitchen of the hospital, and the most interesting thing you got to do there was peel potatoes. Uh, pretty soon, he was sparring for the likes of uh, Larry Holmes and Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and you know, he was, uh, Tim Witherspoon was an, ex- an ex- exceptionally talented fighter on his way up um, in his uh Early fights, uh, one of the two of the fights, in my opinion, that really put him on the map, that set up his uh, world title, his first world title challenge against Larry Holmes, was uh, Alonzo, Alonzo, Alonzo Ratliff and Ronaldo Snipes. I mean, um, you know, he knocked out uh, Ratliff uh, in, in the seventh, but he won a real close 10 round uh, majority decision over Ronaldo Snipes, which is no slouch fighter, which set up that fight with Larry Holmes. And quite honestly, uh, Alex, a lot of people thought that Terrible Tim won that fight uh, against uh, Larry Holmes. It was a a brutal fight, um, and it was also extremely soon, like I uh, began this segment with. It was only his 16th pro fight. Um, and, and, and the guys that he fought afterwards during that time were all good fighters. I mean, James Quick Tillis was 26-3 and three when he fought him, uh, blew him away and won. Greg Page was, you know... I, during this time, I will admit, I used to call this the, the era of the dinosaurs. I remember watching some of these heavyweight fights and just being so bored out of my mind um, uh, uh, with them. The Greg Page fight was a good one. He lost to Pinklin Thomas. He's got some big wins after that. But the Tony Tubbs fight in 1986, I think, was one of the most boring fights I've ever watched in my life. Um, and I think one of the other things, and, and I'm sure you're going to get into it with the managerial problems that Tim had, the other problem he had was keeping his weight under control. I mean, this was a guy that had an, uh, an extremely uh, uh, good jab. He had uh, power for a big man, and he, and, and he was big because he, he still, if he was fighting today, he would still be right in the mix with all these giants. And I think that some of, like you suggested, that his head got a little big. Well, so did his stomach. And, um, you know, he wasn't always in the greatest of shape. And that, too, uh, kind of hurt him. I, I think I think Tim Witherspoon really pissed away uh, the potential of greatness uh, by uh, not having the, uh, the dedication to the sport that maybe he should have. 
Uh, I think that's um, to some degree. There's yeah, there's some truth to that. I think this, like you said, the age of the dinosaurs. That I think that 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 kind of there, that thread was went through the whole heavyweight division. Um, that and I think a lot of it can be attributed to the frustration of managerial. Uh, um, you know, not that, and I don't mean to make an apology for. Um, you know, lack of self-discipline. Uh, but you're right. Um, although I will say this: I, last night I watched the uh, uh, Witherspoon Tubbs fight, and I remember it being a dreadful fight. But Bill, it is not as dreadful as you remember it. We have come through a dreadful, dreadful age of heavyweights. I know. <laughs> Compared to Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker. Uh, Witherspoon Tubbs is a pretty good fight. <laughs> uh, first of all, it's a 15 rounder, uh, so that takes a lot out of you. Um, and that's one of the things that it's too bad that when Holmes, when, when Witherspoon fought Holmes, if they had gone 15 rounds, um, maybe the younger uh, Witherspoon would have done better. Um, but as it is in that fight, one of the reasons why he did lose, uh, a lot of people thought was because he faded, uh, faded and he almost had her. He had her Holmes hurt in the ninth, and then tenth and eleventh and twelfth, he kind of faded. At that time, fifteen round fights still were happening. So, had it been fifteen, who knows? Maybe it would have been different. But um, yeah, Tony Tubbs versus uh, uh, Tim Witherspoon is a, a surprisingly better fight now. Watching it uh, retrospectively than it was at the time because um, of, of what we've come to expect from heavyweights and you're right nowadays they're so much bigger but i think that's the thing that is different about tim witherspoon he always mixed it up and i was just watching uh while you were on with larry i was watching a little bit of his fight with ray mercer ray mercer uh during his uh prime was one of the hardest probably you could argue the hardest single punch heavyweight in the sport uh, in the division, rather, and um, Larry uh, Tim Witherspoon has a pretty damn good fight with uh, Ray Mercer, and that was on the undercard of the Bo Galata rematch. Um, so yeah, there's some, um, you know, aside from guys like Alfonso Ratliff, uh, um, Ronaldo Snipes, James Tillis, Greg Page, as you keep going through the heavyweight division, he kept fighting the top guys. Um, you know, I. <laughs> You you make me you make my mind go back and I, I'm thinking I, maybe I'm still sleeping mentally but uh, wasn't Tony Tucker and Orlin Norris another one of those exciting battles? <laughs> that was, I mean okay all right let's not get on Tim too much it was several after him that were way more boring. Yeah, there was, a lot of, there was a, a, I think that's the thing that people always need to remember about heavyweights uh, is that you know. The pool, in terms of how bad it gets, goes pretty deep. I mean, heavyweight boxing is like the girl with the curl. You know, when when she uh, is good, she's very, very good. But when she's bad, she's horrid. Yeah. Well, Tim Witherspoon was a talented fighter. Uh, he had a good jab. He had, uh, you know, he had he had pop. You know, he was a big guy. 
Um, you know, I mean, he did have an over 50% knockout ratio. Uh, as far as his career goes, uh, he definitely is a guy that you could clearly say had his ups and downs. I mean, uh, he had his first title shot in 1983 with Larry Holmes. Uh, he won uh, his title with a majority decision over Greg Page um, in uh, 1984. His first defense, he lost it. Uh, to Pinklin Thomas, uh, only to regain it again or regain a title, the WBA version, against Tony Tubbs in 1986, made one successful title defense, lost it to James Bonecrusher Smith, which Mike Tyson would eventually win from uh, in 1986, being blown out in one round, rattled off a bunch of uh, wins, got back in the mix uh, with uh, two back-to-back -back wins, one against uh, Jose Ribalta and the other against Carl the Truth Williams, um, kept winning, 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 and then really ended up, um, you know, getting another title shot. Um, uh, well, not a world title shot, but was in line for one. But then probably had the worst three-year run in his career that spanned from. Uh, December 1996 through June of 99, where he went uh, one win and five losses against uh, um, some known guys like Andrew Galata, Brian Nielsen, Greg Page, uh, and Larry Donald, and, and James Thunder. I mean, they were big names. But in a sense, um, that, was, that was the end of, uh, of his career, I think, uh, Alex. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think and that was, you know, a grudge match with uh, Greg Page there because he had won a majority decision earlier in his career. Uh, that was actually uh, when he won a piece of the WBC title that had been uh, stripped away from Larry Holmes. That was, remember at that time, okay, so this is, some of this is confusing because part of when uh, Witherspoon was sort of, pushed into the match with Larry Holmes, like you said, early in his career. He didn't really realize that he was being trained and managed by Don King. Now, how Don King was able to avoid this, I mean, not trained and managed, but promoted and managed. Now, of course, promoters and managers um, uh, have sort of contradictory um, uh, you know, interests. Yeah, but it wasn't, it was, just keep one thing in mind, that that Muhammad Ali act was not in place at the time that that yeah, was one exactly. this is one of the reasons why it was put in place <laughs> you <Exactly>. know <laughs> and that's one of the things that uh, I guess even back then there was the the look of was impropriety but as Carl King himself said uh, blood is thicker than egg foo young and because I'm a family member I can catch my father in various moods I know the right time to approach him so it's sort of uh, what we now know as the sort of uh, Jared Kushner way of doing business. You know, he's got the in inroads with his dad. So if dad wants one of his promoted fighters to fight somebody, well, who can I ask? Hmm, I wish I had a way to talk to Tim Witherspoon. Oh, Junior. Um, <laughs> so Junior can help facilitate things. The other thing that was happening was you could take a bigger chunk out of uh, Witherspoon's purse because now you have uh, it, at least if, if it's all going to King promotions because now Carl King can take a managerial cut and he started taking this 50% which is outrageous most uh, managers the biggest they would take is 33% so he started to you know get lots of issues with um, 
you know, not making a lot of money uh, for fights or not making what's promised. And then it really culminated for him with that um, rematch with uh, Bonecursor Smith that was part of the HBO heavyweight tourney, which you're right, he was hoping he was just going to get a fight with Mike Tyson because he had been scheduled to have a rematch with Tony Tubbs. Well, Tony Tubbs ended up, I think, with a shoulder injury. So King and Carl, both Kings said, look, you're going to fight uh, Bonecrusher Smith as a sub. Well, he didn't want to fight Bonecrusher Smith. He was like, why don't we just have a pass and I'll fight Mike Tyson? They didn't want him to do that. And so he was very listless, out of shape, not at all happy, spent a lot of time just arguing about um, paychecks and, uh, you know, what his future was when he got upset um, by uh, Bonecrusher Smith in a round. But as he said, if you watch interviews with him, um, it's there was like this strange bliss that came over him after losing that fight, because um, even though it sucked losing, uh, it, he was free of King. And he made a million dollars when it was smoke clear, <laughs> even though he'd sued for uh, 25 mil. But uh, uh, in any event, um, uh, Tim Witherspoon, because uh, I want to get your thoughts on some other stuff. Tim, Tim Witherspoon, uh, I thought, was a, a, a good fighter that um, and he, he has been on the show, by the way. And, and he uh, um, he just he ended it on a, on a sour note that those last several years were, were not that great. Uh, one fight I do want to point out in 2002, he uh, he knocked out Ed White uh, in North Carolina in in the first round of a uh, unknown scheduled round. Ed White uh, was a guy that I actually knew. He ended up being my opponent guy. He was from Tennessee, and uh, we used to <laughs> we used to call Ed White to get us uh, uh, opponents. Uh, for young fighters, uh, Ed White had the uh, uncanny ability to uh, uh, find uh, uh, tough but not too talented uh, four-round fighters. And uh, uh, if Ed is listening, uh, I hope all is going well, my man. But uh, uh, how did uh, Terrible Tim do in title bout? Uh, he did very well. And I think that this was one of the things that's interesting. Um, I, I always wish, uh, because they did have some common opponents – uh, and because Witherspoon um, knocked out Frank Bruno when Frank Bruno was probably uh, in the closest thing you could describe as his prime. So I always wanted to see how he Witherspoon would have done against Mike Tyson. Uh, Witherspoon was a brave guy who came to fight. He used that uh, Philly cross-arm defense. And against Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, he really dominated. The first time he fought Deontay Wilder, he just battered him to a unanimous decision victory. Uh, one judge had it 119 to 104 for Witherspoon. The other two had it 118 to 106. Uh, Spoon dropped Wilder five times, twice in round one, once in round two, uh, and a, once in round nine, and once in round 11. So that's, you know, delicious vec victory for all the Wilder haters out there. When they go uh, 100 bouts, uh, Tim Witherspoon dominates, 87 victories, 11 defeats, two draws, and he stopped the, uh, the Browns bomber 64 times. Uh, Wilder was able to score five KOs in his 11 wins. Um, against Joshua, fared just slightly better against Tim Witherspoon. The first time they fought, 
Uh, Spoon wins, stops uh, the big man, TKO 10, uh, 2 minutes and 45 seconds. He had Joshua down twice, and uh, the referee stopped it with Joshua along the ropes getting hammered. Uh, when they fight 100 times, Tim Witherspoon dominates 74 victories, 21 defeats, 5 draws. He stopped Joshua 49 times. Joshua scored 21 KOs. Uh, well, he, every time Joshua won, it was by KO. Great job, uh, as usual, Alex. One other point I wanted to uh, uh, make about Tim Witherspoon. You know, I, I have his... Uh, uh, a card, a boxing card of his that was put out by uh, um, Players International is the thing. It's Ring Lords. And by the way, I, I have these as uh, trivia prizes we give away from time to time. We have sets and stuff. Um, but uh, but I was noticing on the back of this card, and which was put out in 1991, that at the time, Tim Witherspoon shared one thing in common with Muhammad Ali. At the time, they were the only two fighters in heavyweight history, in 1991 anyway, that had uh, lost the world heavyweight title and then regained it. Now, of course, since then, Mike Tyson, Van Holyfield, uh, Klitschko, uh, Lennox Lewis all come to mind um, as guys that uh, regained uh, uh, the heavyweight title. But terrible Tim Witherspoon. That should have said, actually, Floyd Patterson as well. And because- well, Floyd- Even at that time, Patterson had regained it from Joe Hansen. But you're right. When he beat um, Tony Tubbs, he regained the title. Right. And, and it did say Floyd Patterson. I just forgot to mention it. I, oh, the card okay. the card says right on the back, uh, joins Muhammad Ali and Floyd Patterson as the only two. Um, but uh, terrible Tim. Uh, career record, 55 wins, 38 coming by knockout, 13 losses in which he was stopped four times. Most of them came uh, like I said, uh, during that three-year span, he has one draw, fought 426 rounds with a 55% knockout ratio. Tim Witherspoon, our blast from the past today. Uh, great job as usual. And Alex, uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, but real quickly, um, what's your thoughts on this whole saga of uh, Deontay Wilder and, uh, um, and and Anthony Joshua? I mean, Deontay's trying to spin it as AJ's fault. I, I, I can't help. I mean, I think both of them share um, fault here, but but I can't help but think that the majority of the fault falls on um, Deontay Wilder's team for not being uh, by not having any sense of urgency to get this fight signed. What's your quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I lean in the direction of blaming Team Wilder as well. Mainly because, um, and I think you and uh, Larry covered some of this. Um, mainly because, and we, as we've talked about before, it does seem like um, because of the Al Heyman connection, they are using uh, the same model as they did for uh, Mayweather Pacquiao. And that's just really unfortunate because that didn't really help anyone. Um, one of the things that I, in preparing for this blast, one of the great little moments was there was an exchange during the Tim Witherspoon versus uh, Ray Mercer fight, and Larry Merchant said, wow, I can't remember the last time, I'm paraphrasing, I saw two big heavyweights stand on a napkin, virtual handkerchief, rather, and pound each other. And that's the thing about heavyweight boxing. 
we want to see these two guys do this. And I don't care about listening to the negotiations. It's obnoxious. And that whole statement in the press, I mean, we have to listen to that with our politicians. Don't want to listen to it with our fighters. Just fight. Uh, have two fights. Um, they're both young. It would be awesome to see it. Uh, but we're not going to see it this year. And we're going to listen to crap. And that's unfortunate. It's really disappointing. It is. It's bad for the sport. Alex, great job as usual. Look forward to you next time, brother. And we'll see you. Take care. All right, that's Alex Papali uh, doing a uh, great job as usual. Um, we uh, uh, I, I normally I, I, I take a break here, but uh, I'm not going to. Uh, we're going to get uh, uh, my man uh, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola back uh, in the studio uh, by way of uh, technology. Um, but uh, you know, overall, the sad uh, the sad thing of of uh, the sport in itself. I know we've been beating the hell out of uh, uh, the Anthony Joshua, uh, Deontay Wilder situation, is that so too often in, in the sport of boxing, uh, we are left with a void, we being the boxing fan, uh, where we want to fight and uh, it, it either doesn't happen quick enough or we get an anticlimactic situation like we did with Pacquiao and Mayweather. And, you know, the, the, the greed factor, like Larry and I were talking about, is, is the driver here. And um, I'm, I'm back with Sal. And, and you know, the, the sad part about this, Sal, is the simple fact that these types of fights don't need the marination process. Years ago, that's one thing. I mean, we could dissect and give all kinds of examples of why fights were better back in the day or why fight, fighters are better today in terms of skill set, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, this whole procedure of trying to marinate a fight to build up interest I don't think is working I think that it actually turns people away turns fans away uh, from the sport and I think that we could be just as successful um, by making these fights happen sooner than later because I always say there's going to be another fight that's waiting in the wings to be the next big fight what, what's your thoughts on this two truths that I'm going to state right now is what you just said. Whatever whatever the big fight is, it'll spawn and breed off a new fight, a new big fight, a new super fight. And uh, I listened to the segments with Alex and Larry Hazard, and, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with uh, Larry anymore. Um, you know, when he talked about the era of uh, not having to wait for – Sugar Ray Leonard to fight Tommy Hearns or Roberto Duran. And look what those turned into. They turned into rubber matches, re rematches, uh, trilogies. And that's because the fans knew what they saw it was a big, good fight. And, you know, and, and look at the, I use that term, round robin effect, the synergy in that welterweight division, moving up to the middleweight division between Duran, Hagler, Hearns. Uh, I, I mean, it was just amazing. And, and, you know, the fans didn't have to wait. They were fed. They were spoon-fed a steady diet of great, fantastic, memorable, to this day, unforgettable fights. And that's what the, the boxing world still needs. Well, it, it's, the, it's the backbone, Sal. Yeah. You, you know, the backbone. I, it's the backbone of the sport. I mean, I, you know, to suggest that you have to have a, a marination process 
is 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 ludicrous as Mike Tyson. It's ludicrous as Mike Tyson ludicrous. would say. But but I mean, you know, even Terence Crawford, you know, as much as I love Terence Crawford and Errol Spence and as much as I want to see these two guys fight, do we really need to to wait? I mean, you can make the argument that Errol Spence doesn't have the uh resume that Terence Crawford has, um but who cares? You know, the demand is there. Strike why the iron's hot, man. You know, Deontay Wilder and his team made a mistake. They dragged their foot, and now they're blaming it on, uh, you know, Eddie Hearn and, and Anthony Joshua. Now, we, it's hey, listen, all, with all due respect, Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua aren't totally not to blame. I mean, they could have focused a little more uh, on getting it done. Um, you know, the uh, Deontay Wilder side will say, well, we offered him $50 million, and, and he said no. He didn't, he didn't respond. Well, you know what? I can offer you, Sal, $50 million to fight, and you're going to say, yeah, but then I can't come up with the money. You know, Don King uh, won, uh, I think it was in the past two years, I think two or three purse bids where he totally overbid everybody else, and then the fight never materialized because he couldn't raise the money. You know, I, I mean, to make an offer and have someone accept, um, and then there's no money, is it really – It's <laughs> It's if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, does it really make a sound? You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's the same same type of a thing. So, you know, and that's what that's what the Wilder fans that's what they say. Well, they, this guy wouldn't fight. He was offered fifty million. We had the money. We they all everybody's we. You know who who? It's you know, I mean, I mean, who who had the money? You know, uh, Shelly Finkel wasn't writing a check. Al Heyman wasn't writing a check. Deontay certainly doesn't have the money. You know, Lou DeBella is a joke. He doesn't promote anything. You know, I, I mean, who had the money? Showtime? If Showtime was going to put up the money, why didn't that child-abusing-looking uh, Steven Espinosa say that, um, you know, we're going to back him financially? I didn't hear that. I didn't hear any of that. No. No. And, and you know, there's going to be fingers pointing. There's going to be uh, everybody touting. And uh, there's going to be both sides of the aisle blaming the other side for not having this fight come to fruition in a timely manner. And, you know, we're going to find out. One's gonna side is going to be uh, somewhat right. The other side is going to be somewhat right. And then we're going to find out the truth in our own assessment. And, uh, you know, we, we, we unfortunately, we, we'd have to dissect and, and, and come to that conclusion. The bottom line is we should never even be in this position because this fight is a mega fight that should have taken place. And... I, I just, you know, it, it does hurt the sport because this this fight is what boxing needs. This fight is what uh, boxing is about. And, uh, you know, for us to see the politics that are get that get involved with the sport and with the greed and the need, like I said, the two 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 motivating factors, you know, uh, the marination process is, is overplayed. And it's not necessary. Not when you have uh, mega fights that are people that the fans know would be a good fight to make right now. It's a shame. It's a shame because yeah. uh, uh, the greed factor is hurting us all. But uh, you know what? Watch, watch, watch what happens, Bill. Uh, you know there could be a freak accident or something happening where. 
This fight we'll never see. Yeah, hey, hey, that's what I've been saying all along. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, there's just too much damn money on the line to take a risk. You know, that's but, what but, I'm saying, man. Watch but, what happens. But, watch, watch something happens. Watch some freak of nature. Something occurs. And maybe the boxing world will wake up. Well, you know what? We had the iron when it was hot. We should have struck. And, but here, and maybe here, we can't wait next time. Here's the sad truth. The sad truth, at least with uh, Anthony Joshua, is let's say Pavetkin upsets him. Let's say Pavekin knocks him out. I would be shocked if Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua don't have a rematch clause in in a in a contract with Pavetkin. So guess what? Uh, Anthony Joshua is set up to make another twenty million or or whatever he's going to make. You know, and and it, and should he win the second fight, he's back on track. The loss doesn't matter to to the to the true boxing fans in the UK or rest of Europe. But Deontay Wilder, he takes a tune up fight and loses. Everybody's going to drop him like a hot potato. All his fanboys are going to drop him like a hot potato. And then the next thing people are going to say is, oh, Deontay Wilder, he, he was a fraud. He was all built up. You know, so uh, the risk here is Deontay. And, and for them to act like they were the A-side is ridiculous. Uh, I'm lo I've lost all respect for, for his team, and I feel sorry for uh, Deontay. But anyway, our trivia question, trivia. Uh, which uh, has been driving people crazy. I mean, I had more emails in my inbox for, for answers to the trivia question that it's going to justify uh, some big hints today, okay? The question is, name the only retired heavyweight champions that beat every fighter they faced. And if you're the first one to email me the correct answer, now we go by timestamps, and I got a lot of people that are emailing me during the show, so, I, you know, um, first of all, don't be afraid to email even if you're listening uh, on a podcast or after the live show, whatever, because not everyone that emails me quickly is right. Um, but if you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game, the same game that Alex just used uh, for our blast from the past. The question, one more time, name the only retired heavyweight champions that beat every fighter they face. So here's the big hint, all right? Um, since most of the people that are submitting answers are including these two names, I'm going to tell you right now that there's at least one, okay? I don't want to give it all away, but there's at least one that you're missing. Rocky Marciano is definitely one of them, and Lennox Lewis is definitely the other one, and there are one or more left. So if you're the first one to name, and you got to name all three, or four, or five, or six, um, you know, then you win the prize, okay? So email me the correct answer, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. I might have just slipped there. But uh, on this day in boxing history, June 27th, uh, 1982, uh, S.T. Gordon uh, knocks out Carlos de Leon in the second round to win the WBC World Cruiserweight title, and that took place in Ohio. On this day in 1987, here you go. Matthew Hilton wins a 15-round decision over Buster Drayton uh, to win the IBF World Junior Middleweight title. It took place in Montreal. I remember that watching that fight on TV. Uh, on this day in 1999, Lakiva Sim uh, knocks out Takanori uh, Hakiyama uh, in the fifth round 
to win the WBA World Junior Lightweight title in Tokyo. On this day in 1970, Big Bob Foster knocks out Mark Tessman in the 10th round to retain his WBC and WBA World Light Heavyweight titles uh, in Baltimore. Uh, also on this day in 1972, Big Bob Foster knocks out Mike Quarry in the fourth round to retain his WBC and WBA World Light Heavyweight titles in Las Vegas. And uh, on this day in 1902, Joe Gans knocks out uh, George Elbows McFadden. I love love that nickname. Uh, yeah. uh, in the third round to retain his World Lightweight title, it took place in San Francisco, California. And finally... On this day in 1914, uh, Jack Johnson wins a 20-round decision over Frank the Pittsburgh Dentist Moran to retain his world heavyweight title uh, in uh, Paris, France. Uh, both big guys at the time, Johnson weighing in at 221.5 pounds, Moran at 203. Boy, have times changed. And yes. uh, incidentally, uh, we talked about this fight yesterday uh, prematurely. This was the fight that uh, neither one of these guys actually got their money for. But uh, uh, in wow. any event, uh, hey, listen, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today. Uh, we will be back tomorrow morning. Same bad time, same bad channel. So until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.